This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to the show. Usually we don't know who we're talking to, but this, this episode's completely different. We got Will Womble. Founder and CEO of Umbridge, or Umbrage, as we once <laughs> said when we first met you. And we were like, well, it's definitely not French. It's, it's, it's Umbridge. No, that it was, was pretty French great. Sure. The first night, when, when was it? Uh, right before Christmas, we were all doing at your at the dinner thing. And Jake was trying to be so cool introducing to folks. I totally appreciate it. He's like, so this is Umbrage? And I was like, hey, aren't you from Texas, man? I mean, the, the first thing you said when you walked up, you were like, I thought Colin was a lot taller than he actually was. Oh this my God, that's totally right. And that's what sparked. So whenever Chuck it wanted started. to talk shit about Colin, I was like, well, Will the other day said that Colin was really short. Now the Man, all I'd seen was, was photos. And I was like, man, these guys have strong game and they go hard. I'm like, these must be, you know. <laughs> we got to be at least six, eight. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, I think it's this weird phenomenon because Dave Portnoy over at Barstool Sports deals with the same thing. He's five foot ten but when people meet him or everyone talks shit about him being short because i think that he just like he just talks so much crap online that everyone assumes like oh man he's got to be like this big yeah it's the tom cruise effect i mean (laughs) hello that's a compliment (laughs) right you're also like six four or something especially when you're wearing boots (laughs) so you're like six six that's one thing i know is i take pictures of all these people that come on my podcast is like there's just tall dudes like got will over here like JP and Chuck took a picture with me the other day. JP's got to be 6'5". JP's so. wife is like 6'5". He's like 6'9". Yeah, he's huge. Because they so. both came up to me and I was just like, <laughs> hi. So they put me in the middle of them. I'm like, guys, I don't like the, the position. <laughs> the, have you hanging on their shoulders? <laughs> so you're no, the but see, but you're, so thanks, you're in chair, so it doesn't matter. So I appreciate that. It's, thanks, it was out of love, I, I assure you. It's the joy that doesn't die. So tell us about Umbridge. And what you guys do. I'm excited for this because you guys haven't really been operating stealth per se, but mm-hmm. you haven't been really marketing yourselves and telling the world what you're doing. So I feel like this is, you know, the the coming out party of what is Umbridge and what are you guys doing? So tell us a little bit about it. Well, coming out party. No, I th- <laughs> uh, thank you, first of all, for having me um, and just for being who you guys are. I love what, as we've already synced on, outside of this, what you guys are doing for not just the energy, not just tech, but specifically what's near and dear to us, the, the Houston scene yeah, and all the things that are happening and can happen. And it's great to kind of see this thing not only growing, but it's nice to see people in the arena mm-hmm. that are actually, you know, getting into the dirt and, and, and working. And that's just, it's, it's comforting. So thank you guys for, for doing that. To your point. Yeah. We, we officially started in December of 2019. So I'm not sure where COVID was in the world at that particular time, but talk about an interesting time to start a company yeah. right before, <laughs> right before the, the global pandemic that happened. And yeah. I think we were right after you because we went full-time on Wildcatters in March. That's so right. So we're just a couple months behind you. There were six of us and, you know, the thing you'll hear from me more than anything else in talking about Umbridge is relationships. And that is what's been the, the driving force for how it was formed, how it got started, but most importantly, how it's continued to, to grow. And we went into the pandemic with, with 17 employees and, and came out with 31. And uh, that was just absolutely surprising, not from a brag, but from a, I'm not really sure what happened, but back to your question, no one would have listened if we wanted to stand up on a box and say, you know, kind of hello world. Uh, and I likened it to a lot of people that go out to LA and want to be actors and think they just go and say, Hey, I'm here. Can I get a part now? And it's called show business and not show art. And I likened that back to startups because there's nothing wrong with it being a small business. And it's not about just getting a brand or getting a name out there and everyone getting rallied around it. You actually have to say something or have something to say. So much of 2020, while we were working and growing, was hands down cultivating and curating the stories that we're now finally starting to be able to share. And there's somewhat of a 
opportunity from an audience that might want to listen because no one else would have really listened. Understandably so, because we were all dealing with our own stuff in 2020, trying to figure stuff out. Yeah. That had nothing to do with really the question in terms of umbrage, umbrage, but it has everything to do with why we haven't really taken the veil off in terms of showing kind of who we are until just a couple of months ago. So yes, this is the coming out party of umbrage. <laughs> so I feel so, like it's, it's, I have a hard time describing what you guys do because I don't think it's fair just to say that you guys are a software development firm. I feel mm -hmm. like it's so much more than that. I feel like the scope is larger than that. And I think that with what we've seen with the companies that you've worked with and we've known each other for a little while now and, you guys build beautiful software and I think you attributed more to the process that you guys, the DevOps process kind of around that. And I think that that's what you guys have really honed in on. So kind of unpack that. Like, how do you, how do you describe that? Yeah, no, it's, it's, do? it's a great question. And it's something education is our biggest competitor in trying to get people to understand what it is we do. Cause people, you say you're a software. Oh, tell me about your software. Don't, it, that's not what we do. Or tell me about your technology. And, and getting through some of these large procurement departments is always fun because we don't check a certain box that they have in their Scantron that they're supposed to fill out because mm -hmm. we do get confused as if, are you a consultancy? No, not, I mean, no. Are, are you, you have an interesting brand and you've got this interesting logo and your, your aesthetics and colors are out there. Are you a design agency? Because it's got that, that feel. Kind of. Um, I have switched a couple of times on how to best describe it because unfortunately I totally, I know what you mean, Jake, when you say uh, dev shop, but I think that a lot of the engineering firms that are outside the United States that are typically known as a dev shop mm -hmm. have, I don't say bastardized, but definitely watered down what it is a product studio does. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so I no longer say we're a software dev shop. We're a product shop. Dev is a huge componentry, if not one of the most critical parts to getting software shipped, but it's not who we are, or what we do. It's part of what it is. Design absolutely doesn't have to just, doesn't need to just look aesthetically pleasing. It's got to functionally work and the user experience has to be down there. That's all part of design, but it's not all we do. And while the consultancy part comes in, yeah, we have product managers, not project. There's a huge difference. And a lot of those have come from the consultancy world that understand the human problems that companies are trying to figure out and solve and understand how to convert those into the user stories and the acceptance criteria in order for designers and devs to take it and actually make functional software out of it. It's an amalgamation, as I overuse that word, of a few companies, quite frankly, and, and the story of Umbridge and, and how we tell it and who we are has organically grown as, as we've grown. One of our lead designers came from a company that we both worked at called Chaotic Moon that was started back in 2010 and uh, grew pretty quick and was bought uh, by a large consultancy in 2015. And it was really known for its experiential design. And we have really amazing at Umbridge experiential designers, UX, UI. The other part that makes up who, who we are is on the engineering side. There was a company out of Boston called Intrepid that was also acquired and a lot of folks were moved down here to, to Houston. And a lot of our dev come from that background from that particular company called Intrepid. And all of us spent time in one way or the other, whether through an acquisition or through our you know, job, in some type of consultancy. So we bring that kind of Venn diagram of those two scrappy startups mixed with an you know, interesting consultancy experience into what it is we do, do today. Um, at the end of the day, we build product. And it's hard to explain to people what we do because, or just generally, because the illustrations that we would put to the book that I'm writing or the book that I'm telling in terms of who we are, are the case studies centered around kind of how the people have been utilized, what's the process that's been infused, and what was the methodology undertaken in order to deliver the software. So the funny thing about you is it, 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 it creativity kind of exudes f from you as you talk and you look at your office and it's beautiful and it's you know, wonderful aesthetic. 
And so I think people would be surprised to know that you at one point in time were a lawyer. Or at least I know you went to school for law. I don't know if you ever actually practiced. I wait, think you wait, did wait. A little bit. No offense to all the lawyers out there because I've seen some pretty <laughs> creative lawyers. Lawyers are boring. Okay. Uh, <laughs> let's just, <laughs> so take us back. So fill yeah. us in from like, so the, fill us in on the law stuff. Why'd you leave? And then where'd you, I mean, yeah. I know you, you hit on Chaotic Moon a little bit. No, no, I didn't mean to jump ahead that. there. So uh, yes, I I still am a lawyer. I worked my butt off to to get that degree. And then where'd to you earn, go to school? Here in town, South okay. Texas, College of Law. So yeah. I'm born and bred Houston. Love you, Blue, all the way. Um, and, you know, went to high school just down the street and then went to SMU. Came back here after graduating there and went to law school. And I didn't take the bar. Um, that was not a happy time in my home when I told my parents I wasn't taking the bar. My dad's a, <laughs> my dad's a trial lawyer here in town. And mm. so that was a tough conversation to have. I moved to L.A., with my, my wife of uh, six months and got in the entertainment industry. That's a whole separate other podcast with which I would <laughs> okay, have. Wait, you can't just, yeah. have you really can't just say that. Would you, would you get into porn, so that, that, acting or music? That's or? why he had the uh, actor reference earlier. He's like, you don't just go to Hollywood and say, hey. What was, what was the ambition? So interestingly enough, uh, one of the things that I found fulfilling during law school and what's interesting about the whole Socratic method is a phrase that I've now not coined, but that I say, being able to extemporaneously rise to your feet and begin speaking in a persuasive manner mm-hmm. without falling all over yourself. And that is very much honed in law school. You learn what, you, what you've got. But then a lot of law schools, especially South Texas, they have an advocacy program that's second to none. I did really well in mock trial. And when you think about it, mock trial, I already know what the outcome was of the case that I'm supposed to go present. I already know what I need to get out of the witnesses and or uh, um, the uh, uh, other lawyers. It's about telling the story, creating the arc. And that's what was interesting. So to answer your question, uh, when, I, when I was supposed to be taking the bar, I was actually um, on the set of Pearl Harbor which many people don't know this. Do y'all know this? Is this, is this new? I think you told me the first time we met, but you and Ben Affleck are in Pearl Harbor <laughs> together. People don't know that the battleship of Texas is stationed here in San Jacinto. Yeah. And Pearl Harbor, much of this was 2001 ish, but before 2000, uh, most of it was filmed in Pearl Harbor, except for a few days. They filmed for three days here on the battleship of Texas. Did they really? And I then they that. filmed for three days in Corpus Christi on one of the other, I can't remember the name. Um, Lexington? I can't remember. It's, it's an aircraft carrier. Anywho, they came into town and I just went to an open casting. I mean, just went to an open casting <laughs> and at, the, at the encouragement of my amazing wife. Who's like, just go do it. Got cast, happened to be in the right place at the right, t- right time uh, and amongst a bunch of whatever. So other, other folks. And Bruckheimer in, in Bay saw me and Jerry was the producer and Michael was directing. He's like, hey, can you come here? And so I spent four hours filming this scene that- So are you in a scene on- I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I get made fun of all the days. They cut back to, the, we'll get to the, the DA days because the judges made fun of, fun of me about it. I'll, I'll come back to that. We need a timestamp so that we can go back and look. I need to know what scene- <laughs> Oh man, you're going to get, if this ever did part gets out. Did you play a out, lawyer in the movie? No, okay. I did not. But when I went to LA, most of the stuff that I got, which was not very much, mm-hmm. um, was playing lawyers. I mean, I played, I was on JAG, I was on Judging Amy, uh, <laughs> did some West Wing stuff in the, in the, the, the background. But um, yeah, I went out there and became or tried to become, tried to get in the entertainment industry. I still carry my SAG card. It was the hardest union I ever uh, worked to get into. I still get all the movies sent to me. I still get 37 cent royalty checks and other things <laughs> like that. I'm not even it, joking. I don't it. even, I don't cash them because one year I did and it cost me more in filing for taxes on all that <laughs> stuff than the, all, all the checks put, to, put together. So just the gas drive down But the here's, here's, here's the it. here's the thing. And one, one, one of the, big passions y'all y'all have is promoting the entrepreneurial scene in and around, you know, your energy and, and going out there was just another feather of experience to put into the cap of being scrappy 
and trying to figure it out. I, I just graduated law school and I knew I needed to find a way to crack into industry. Totally different subject, but I ended up going to answer phones for a management company who represented a bunch of really big folks. They had the fax machine. Yes, Colin, a fax machine is something you sent paper through. <laughs> they didn't have those in Midland either. <laughs> and unbeknownst to these people, I was sending my headshot for roles that were coming in and then I got one. And so, my, you know, I think entrepreneurs have to be scrappy and creative in order to go kind of make their own. Yeah, break yeah. through rules here and there. That's exactly right. So, uh, what was the freaking question? What was the ambition? I like where this story's going. Just so. keep it going. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, it was, yeah, it was to go be an actor. And I really enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed taking lines, taking stories that were, because the way acting world works, you're not given a script and you're just given what they call sides. You're just given part of a scene. You don't sometimes know the whole story that you're going to go audition for. You have to create that arc and you have to do it in 60 seconds. Mm -hmm. Sitting in a room with people, much like this, they just have a camera on you and somebody else is reading off script that I assure you does not have the same passion you are trying to exude however softly in order to win people over. Yeah. And that is why going back to umbrage and relationships and people, and, and I believe more and more as I grow into this longer life, people by people. And so whether it was trying to get a part in LA or when I came back six years later and took the bar for the first time and passed it, much to the surprise of everyone, including my parents, um, and then went and tried lawsuits as an assistant district attorney here in Harris County. You are trying to win people over. Yes, you are fighting for justice 100%. But think about it. How many people out there, how many times have you two gotten a jury summons and go, oh, man, I don't have time for this? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You want to talk about a tough worst, audience to sell to? My worst fear in life is being judged by a jury of people that <laughs> don't want to be there or weren't smart enough to get out. Yeah. <laughs> but the lawyer's job there kept pivoting back to, I mean, I know we're all over the map here and I'm happy to go anywhere you want, but it was honing a skill that I find I'm perpetually satiated to try to go um, check some boxes. And that is telling stories, creating mm -hmm. arcs. Because as a lawyer, I was learning how to read people. I was learning how to extract information through questions. People that don't want to be there and all the time trying to educate them on why it's important for them to be there. Yeah. So interestingly enough, I'll, I'll weave this together. Watch this. Cause I believe chalk talks. I don't, you guys know what a chalk talk is. You kind of put <laughs> these pieces out there and then you is. wait till the end, <laughs> wait till the end, you stitch it together. My, Marissa, my wife makes fun of me all the time. Here comes the chalk talk. All right. So I'll weave it together. In LA, I met two people. I met a lot of people, two really good friends. When I went and I came, but we all, we all kind of split apart. And came back. I, w I was practicing law here in town. Was a DA for a long time. Learned a lot. Learned how to hone the skill of persuasion and telling stories and, and asking questions and, and getting information right. Uh, and then I went and worked in the civil side of stuff. It didn't really enjoy it. I think that's a that's a, a whole separate other episode. But two of the people that I met in LA started working for this company called Chaotic Moon. They had both gone their separate ways, found, found themselves. We still maintain relationships and friends. And one day, one of them was here in town and we were just meeting up for lunch. And they had just uncovered some work in ConocoPhillips, Halliburton, Schlumberger, Oasis Petroleum. They had nobody in Houston. There was this small, not small, but, you know, growing shop, uh, you know, technology studio, and they needed somebody that could kind of have I don't know, a presence. I don't, they just needed some, somebody that wasn't going to fall all over themselves. Exactly right. <laughs> and so I was telling my friend, uh, what's going on? He's like, dude, you should think about coming over here. And so Michael Hall's his name and John Fremont's the other one. Uh, the, those two guys from, from LA. So I go up and this is, I'm going to weave umbrage into this. Watch this. <laughs> So I go up and, and I, and I talk to these guys for a little bit and like, okay, teach me. Cause as a lawyer, you're vordire and you're, that's the whole part of picking a jury. And it's about 
just give me what's this not the script, but what is it that I need to know? I'm like, I'm telling these guys, what is it I need to know? Because I'll I'll I can get there. I've always been an early adopter. I've always used you know technology's always been really really uh, key, and I'm like I said, early adopter and understand it all. So I go to meet some of these other folks at Chaotic to kind of interview. And there was one guy out there, uh, Mike Irwin. I was on a conference call with him yesterday. He's the CFO of Chaotic Moon. He's now, uh, he's with Worley. Yeah. Okay. Started Ecliptic yeah. Capital. Ecliptic, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I tell, I, tell Mike, I tell Mike this all the time. I was sitting in there. If you ever met Mike, he's great. He sits Indian style barefoot in couches and he was, and I was, we were in this office. I like talked to him on Zoom. So there's my see. two friends. Uh, and then here's Mike. Listen, mm-hmm, tell me about this. And what are we thinking we're going to do with Will here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and he said, okay, I really like this guy. But his words were this. Hey, man, here, everything moves way too fast. I just don't think this is going to work out. Don't use this word often, but instinctively, I just said, hey, I got to take umbrage with that last comment because of this, this, this. And the room went kind of paused and they said, wait, what, what, you take what? What, what did you say? Umbrage. <laughs> Umbrage. He's like, is that French? <laughs> and so I credit, I credit Mike. I'm like, so you're the impetus to a certain extent of the name because one of my, one of the guys that had heard that story and then it became kind of an internal joke, small one of like people, I'm going to take Umbrage in a meeting. Like I take Umbrage and it was totally throwing shade back at, back at me. What does Umbrage mean? Shade. Oh. Comes back, it comes from the word, the Latin word umbraticus, and it, mean, it means shade. But I had a designer come up to me at Chaotic Moon and say, I really like that name. I think it could be something interesting one day. On the side, I just started collecting URLs. <laughs> Yo, is he got to? No, I'm not even joking. Like, I had no idea. I'm like, you know. Dude, you're not a good entrepreneur in this day and age if you don't just start stacking URLs. Digital Wildcatters, we got the .com and a coffee house like two years before we ever did anything with it <laughs> this sounds cool absolutely that for 99 cents. Uh, well i mean you, you you've got to and, and so uh yeah so that's how i got from pearl harbor set to la <laughs> to law back to chaotic moon which is where i really found the so, passion so because so what was your role at chaotic moon uh so i was the go to market on the round yeah go to market guy yeah, go to market bd account um, and Chaotic Moon was a similar operation to Umbridge today in terms of being a dev shop for bigger corporations like the oil and gas companies you mentioned. Yeah, they, they were service. They were similar in a ser- from a services perspective um, and, and especially on the design side. And then, yeah, there was some pretty cool uh, dev stuff that was happening as, as well there. Um, but the role was to go help manage some of these accounts and, and grow some of these accounts. And six months into that particular gig, uh, that's when it got, that was acquired. And I knew that was probably going to happen. Yeah. And so it was just this continuous wave of new things kind of coming and, and trying to pivot and adapt and, and understand what, what's next. Cause just trying to, if you, it's not a game, but just trying to understand what the boundaries are of certain industries. And then you, okay, I, I get this industry. I now understand chaotic. And now all of a sudden, you know, you get acquired and this large other board game comes. It's like, okay, what are the rules here? And where, where's everything going? And it was an interesting time to go, but I found leaning back into some of the experiential stuff. It's, I don't say a boardroom. I'll, I'll call it a pitch room. I think boardrooms too cliche. Yeah. But a pitch room is no different than a jury room, especially if you're there not to sell. Because a jury room, you're not, I'm not trying to sell. I believe in what I'm doing. Yeah. I believe in the, the case I've got. I'm trying to persuade. I'm trying to make them get and understand that's education. That's why you're smiling like that. No, you. Colin, what's making you think? What are you, I'm just what? thinking about, you know, the relation of using your experience as a trial attorney. Mm-hmm. Like I never thought about it. And I'm thinking about this story because when I was in fourth grade, I was in this gifted and talented program and we went through we had to be trial attorneys and it was the same exact thing. We knew the outcome, but you had to craft a story mm-hmm. thinking about like little 10 year old Colin, like telling that story, <laughs> <laughs> trying to convince the jury. But I always, I mean, it doesn't matter if it was my first job out of high school selling refrigerators out of Sears. There's always <clears> skill sets <throat> that I believe that you can pick up on from different career paths in entrepreneurship. And mm-hmm. I never thought about 
trial attorneys and storytelling. And storytelling is critical in startup land. Well, and in it's critical in life. Yeah. I think storytelling mm-hmm. is the foundation of good communication and communication is the good foundation of relationships and everything that we do is driven by relationships. Well, that's, I mean, that's y'all's, that's y'all's thesis. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you are helping tell the stories of others and providing that stage, but more than that, helping them hone and craft what it is their the story is. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of sales people. Yeah. I, I just not, and I don't believe necessarily in selling used to get into, um, not, I mean, disagree, not disagreements, but we would go back and forth between folks. Like, do people buy or people sold? And Mm -hmm. I had people, people, people are sold. I'm like, I believe people, people buy. And I believe that based on the trial experience of trying to educate. Yeah. I wanted them to buy what I was selling, if you will, from a story. But anywho, so I found a real niche and in a real, uh, area that I didn't know existed in a pitch room and going in and it it was very, I'm right brain, left brain. And the analytical side, I knew what I needed to get to much like I knew what I needed to, to go prove in a particular case, but the creative side, there was no set path with which to get. And why I love the solution based uh, software that we do and, and how we get projects, we're not pushing a product. I can, and that's both a blessing and a curse at Umbridge and any other software shop that's doing <laughs> custom services. Sometimes I wish I could pull something out of my pocket and let them smell it, feel it, touch it, and tell them it's going to solve all their problems. But it's also a hitch because it's what you want to go be the hammer to the nail you think you're seeing versus most of the time we're getting pulled in and it's just tell us what's going on and what are you trying to do we may not have everything but that's that takes listening and asking the right questions there and back to your whole uh parallel of trial law yeah this episode is brought to you by datagration now we know that the best work over candidates with the highest potential production gain typically are overlooked because they are not always obvious at first sight there are thousands of mature oil and gas fields in the u.s with hundreds of thousands of wells to monitor and optimize with an ever-shrinking skilled workforce. That means hundreds of wells for each production engineer to analyze daily. This routine work normally is unautomated and leads to lengthy well-by-well reviews. Built within the Petrovisor platform, the Datagration team has automated the entire workflow candidate screening process. By leveraging machine learning and knowledge automation, premature well abandonment is avoided, thus extending well life and deferring well plugging cost. Engineering time is saved by highlighting the best opportunities within the platform, and engineers can now spend their time on the most promising workover candidates and standardize best practices. Check out the link in the show notes to learn more about Petrovisor use cases. I mean, it's really similar to Wildcatters, too. I mean, it's like we don't have a product right? sell, right? Right. And we're working with clients just like you guys are. I mean, Wildcatters is very much a service-based business, and the fact that our revenue comes from advertising, we work with partners like, hey, what are you guys trying to accomplish? What yep. do you need? And then we get creative around that. And so you have, you know, that can either be a blessing or a curse, like you said. But, you know, for you guys in Chaotic Moon, um, when when did Chaotic Moon get acquired? 2015. So acquired by Accenture in 2015. And then you guys started Umbridge in 2019? Correct. Okay. I and mean, then- two th- yeah, two, it, December 2019, so right there at yeah, that right cost, there at yeah. The, yeah, 2020 mark. Um, and then y'all's thesis, you know, you're agnostic to industries, right? I mean, you're here in Houston, so it makes sense that you have oil and gas clients. Right. Um, you know, you have startups like uh, Colbor, and um, you developed a land. Landgate. Landgate, uh, yeah. Yep. Petro then, Values is what it was called, but Landgate, yep. Yeah, and then you have some uh, other corporate clients that are outside of oil and gas. And so for you guys, you know, when you're looking at working with different companies, what does that usually look like? Because, you know, I imagine that, you know, even just a conversation that you and I had of something that we want to do at Digital Wildcatters, mm-hmm. I mean, you guys are having to like really kind of take on the vision of what someone wants to build, right? It's like, you're dealing with someone at a corporation that's like, Hey, you know, we want to do this. And you almost have to put on their shoes and think about 
you know, this is the vision. Like you guys are planning it out, designing it. Seems hard. Uh, it is. And the, the great thing is we bring smarter people into the room than the person pitching. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's the essence and core at, at Umbridge, the technical folks that can talk design and the, you know, creative folks that understand architecture. That, that is, you know, who, who we have there, at, you know, at Umbridge and bringing them in to rooms um, from a craft-based perspective, which is how we describe ourselves. Yeah. Very much follow the Zappos model of, hey, focus on your craft. You'll be rewarded for honing your craft. There's a spot for you, whether you're design, dev, DevOps, or product management. But back to your point, getting folks in the room and just asking questions, what are we trying to do? Mm -hmm. Where's the data coming from? What are we trying to tie into? And who's the person that we're trying to influence some form or fashion through what device? Yeah. If you can kind of, that, that was way oversimplified, but breaking that down into some of those things allow for a, a very, I, I hope it's educated conversation to whoever comes in to kind of talk about an idea or a problem or a pain point. Um, but it's also, it, it, you're providing a roadmap. The, the greatest thing and most fun I get to do, and it's not even, it's, it's the folks uh, at Umbridge, is watching them, I don't want to say scope, but create in real time. Yeah. That is, they, it's fun because they, I'll put meeting, meetings on uh, our, our craft leads, as we call them. And they don't, you know, it'll, it may be with enter whatever company that's coming into the studio or we got a call. I always tell them, look, I'll never put a meeting on your calendar if, you know, if, if I don't think it's important because I know you got a lot going on. But I'll also never put a meeting on the calendar that you feel that you'll have to carry. I will always carry if, if, if need be. I, you'll never have to come in. And it's fun to, to, to prepare or not prepare, but like feeling like, oh, my gosh, what am I supposed, am I supposed to present something? Yeah. And it's fun to get them, you know, to a point where they start to paint that vision almost like. What was that movie with Russell Crowe? Um, Told you, man, don't ask me about movies. Yeah, it's a fair point. Uh, <laughs> Gladiator? We got- No, with the numbers. Um, you saw, saw numbers. Um, someone out there. Will, will oh, I know what you're talking about. Um, the one where he's- uh, he's, he's a professor. He's writing, he's like writing, yeah, he's writing on code windows. up on the wall. He sees stuff that people can't see. Yeah, That's my yeah. point. Okay. That was a belabored the, point. Was it the intelligent man? No. No. I know what you're talking about. Whatever. I'm sure the audience knows. Yeah, 100%. He's a college professor out there. Yeah. Uh, Anywho, that, that's very similar. They can see through some things and start to paint some stuff, uh, not, not necessarily design-wise, to start to shape a particular solution or at least the idea of it in order to get them, yeah, I could see that. Um, and so that's, that's a lot of fun to be a part of. It's also um, hair pulling because you don't, it's hard to go build a sales pipeline based <laughs> off of based off of that per se, which yeah. is why I go back to relationships. Yeah. That's how we've been able to grow through getting connected with some folks that say, Hey, this girls and guys over here are doing something a little interesting. You should have a conversation. Yeah. 100%. Uh, and that's why it's but it's also why it's I don't say easy. It's less intimidating to just walk into a room because not again. We're not trying to sell. Not trying to sell. Let's just you educate and, and yeah, see yeah. what's kind of going on. One thing I like about you guys, Jake touched on this a little bit ago, but you're very design driven mm -hmm. first and think about, you know, UI, <laughs> user experiences and things of that nature. And even, I mean, the branding, like I think Will's probably the smartest marketer second to me in energy. You're number two, by the way. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, he's given us like, what, a hundred of these shirts. And I feel so, like I posted a picture the other day and I'm wearing an, an Umbridge shirt. And the whole like, Evolve conference, you were in the Umbridge shirt. dude. He's got so much free impressions from me wearing an Umbridge shirt. But like even y'all's logo um, with the, uh, you know, you, you've explained this to me twice of what it is, but you know, it's got like the- No, there's a lot being like, told. And I use, it, it dates back to some some other, like I- I think brands are personas and you ought to be able to tell the story behind it. But I also think brands are an opportunity to show what you do and we design. And so you hold up a t-shirt that's got, yeah, I'll hold it up so that. Yeah. No, I don't see. mean, yeah. So like whether that's on through. a sticker or a t-shirt or whatever, I ask people, what do you see? 
I see a. I saw a Mandalorian. Yeah, I see that. I get that. The astronaut with the power symbols. What I first that, yeah, saw. I can see that. And so I I say, look, the name of our company is Umbridge. So, what can you do for you? It's all about you. That's big from a culture standpoint. So there's a you in there. Yeah. Both for you and for Umbridge. Design is incredibly important in in having UI. So yeah, there's a U and then there's an I once you start to look at that. But we don't just do design. We actually build stuff. So our logo is a helmet mm-hmm. and it's an actual thing. And yes, we're in digital. So there's a hint of a power button. When you look at it from that perspective and you see that's a lot of data points being pushed in one screen, a t-shirt, a sticker. But you're also able to allow a user to dig down deep to some of the finer points. Yeah, And if you can capture culture, because that's a helmet and an umbrage, it's all about team. Yeah. So there's no individuals. You put that on, we all look the same. Yeah. That's the genesis slash reasoning for the, the logo there. So let's dive into this a little bit more because I don't think we've ever once talked about branding on this show in mm-hmm. like nearly 200 episodes. And I think it's something that's, it's, it's often an afterthought. It's like, uh, let's just go to, you know, 99 designs or Fiverr. We'll pay somebody five bucks. We'll get a logo. We'll throw some colors together. We'll build a website. And it works pretty well for, uh, for rice. (laughs) 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 The EQT logo didn't cost near as much as you would think it did. Let's just say that much. Hey, that's, I always feel like a piece of shit when Will tells me the story of their logo because I'm like, man, I got our typeface because it was the default that was on Canva that day. And just like, oh, pick these two colors. All right, that works. Dude, wait a second. Can we pause for a second? Respect. You said typeface and not font. All the design world out there, they love you right now. You are, you are, you are, you are, you are really fingernail chalkboard. Yeah, 100%. You are fingernail chalkboard stuff. Like, just talk, start talking about logos in, in a, a room full of designers. Like, it's not a I mean, I talk about, uh, yeah, uh, uh, fonts. It's like, yeah. no, no, it's tight. It's fine. So respect. <laughs> you that. said typeface. Yeah. Now you know something. I'm going to start flexing that. But I think like design really does run the world. I mean, from, from the, it's, it's what you align yourselves with. Like think about good brands, like, like Harley Davidson, mm-hmm. right. Or Ford trucks. Like I know a guy who's got like a fucking Ford tattoo. Like he aligns himself know, with that brand. On the like, branding. You, you were, you were in umbrage helmet. Like on even you. car guys, like, each like the kinds of guys that drive different cars have different personas and like you click like I don't click with like Mustang guys so like as much as I like Mustangs like I just can't because we just don't hit it off you know okay so so do you understand so I mean just branding and design I think I mean branding is it, it I am not a brand expert so let's just get that caveat out there I have a lot of ideas most of them are filled with cheese. So I have to get pushed back on that. And, and that's cool. Um, but it, it's, it comes in waves and circles. And for a while there, you know, folks were doing logos and everybody kind of wanted a logo. And then uh, recently, even, even last year and even kind of now, you know, a lot of folks are going more towards just shapes or a line and, and very minimalistic. And I can remember going and talking and, and, and branding umbrage, it was, it still is scary. I mean, you're putting yourself out there and, and you're being vulnerable with kind of what you want to stand for, or what you want to do and, and what the folks that are helping create mm-hmm. this want to do. And, you know, it, we were at umbrage is bucking a, a little bit of the system by going back to a logo when that's not maybe cool right now in yeah. a traditional, if you look at the, I don't know if there are guidelines for brand, but where the trends are yeah. kind mm-hmm. kind of going. But I I don't know if I I feel like I stepped on where you wanted to go in terms of just branding in, in general. You said you've never talked about it on the, the, no, the show. I, I, like I just think because, it's important. Well, look, Wildcatters is built on branding, right? And a lot of the oil and gas industry particularly yep. doesn't focus on branding. And so it's a really easy way to, you know, stand out. But the thing is, is you said that you're not good at branding, but you drive the initiative, right? And that comes from the top down. I mean, branding, because you can't fake branding or just slap on a new logo and say, oh yeah, this is our branding. I mean, that's something that's really at the core of the company. Yeah, it's, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that, that do and don't like Simon Sinek, but you know, Simon got big notoriety for, you know, lead with why. And that was one of his big things. And 
why do you exist? And he talks about that. And I think why is your brand what it is? And, and what, what, why mm -hmm. are you here is a really, it's where we started and where we tried to kind of come from the first lens in order before you get to, this is who we are and this is what we do. We try to start with and follow that of kind of why. Yeah. <clears throat> brand website. I, I spent the last, you know, handful of years in pitch rooms getting asked a bunch of questions about companies that kind of had a product, but not really. And so I decided to let's start with all the questions I get asked and start because you, you, as we roll out in decks, as we're starting to roll out more and more on the website, I, let's just get the questions up front because the, everyone's asking them, let's go ahead and just start answering them instead of <laughs> waiting for- That's the thing about the more meetings and pitches you have, you very quickly find out what the common questions are and like, okay, let's just get ahead of this. The worst is to walk into a pitch room and go, I've been to your website. I have no idea what you do. Yeah. I've had that happen. Yeah. Your website looks really cool, but- Great I feedback though. It's don't like, okay, know what, what it messaging. is. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people like to use just a lot of buzzwords. Oh, it's machine learning, AI, blockchain, this and that. And it really doesn't say- anything that's tangible. We see a lot of that in this industry. Yeah. Uh, I don't think you can say, I mean, I, I, I call this out in every meeting because I don't really know the difference myself per se, but I don't think anyone can say AI without following it with ML. You know, we need some AI and ML. Like, Oh, okay. <laughs> right. sounds, that sounds great. I feel like it's been for, that's the one two yeah, punch, like, man. You gotta have the ML followed by the MI or the AI. So we're putting in digital. Uh, yeah, no, there's, there's a, with a, a ton of buzz. And, and back to the point in the in the you know oil and gas industry. I mean, some some things just can't be uh, faked. I mean, you where was I the other day talking to somebody about BJ Services? And when that deal was going down and that he was talking to one of his a friends some, outside of, you know, this particular space and industry, like, wait, time out. There's a company out there. Are you, are you joking with me? And it's just kind of like, I don't, they, that wasn't intentional. When BJ filed for bankruptcy, my uh, headline for the newsletter that week was BJ goes down. And I was like, thank you for naming your company so I can use that <laughs> <laughs> but I think you're seeing, yeah, I think you're seeing with, especially the startups, you're, you're seeing way more intent of the story, why, why they exist, which is coming out in their brands. And so branding's becoming, you know, it's more, if I can make the word up, culturing, because yeah. that's what, what the founders and the leaders are wanting to set really more so than the notoriety or recognition that obviously one wants to obtain, but it's the culture in a company that you're going to galvanize people in order for them to stay. Yeah. And one of the things I tell people, there's no perfect company. If you find it, don't join it because you'll probably ruin it. There's just no perfect company. And when we were as leadership starting and starting to grow faster than we had anticipated at, at Umbridge, um, you know, we, we wanted to build I don't know, a platform, a, a way for people knowing, hey, look, there's going to people that come in here, a designer, a dev, um, you know, somebody that's product managing that has maybe pivoted, wants to go do something else, that they're, they're not here they, forever. Like, let's just be honest with that. How do we build a place where, um, as you guys have, have met Ronak, Ronak said, how, how, how do we clap them out? And- uh, Ronak Patel, uh, business partner and, and one of the founders is, is you had a ton of different work experience. And interestingly, he's worked in both, uh, Microsoft and Apple retail. And one of the things he told me that I latched onto when he worked at Apple, Apple uh, in the retail stores, when an employee gets a job through the network or gets, you know, goes on to somewhere else, they get clapped out of the store. It's like, it's exciting. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that leadership at Umbridge kind of challenged one another to take Umbridge with Umbridge, if you will, how, how, do you, how do you create that? Is it cheesy as heck? Absolutely. Are we leaning our chest out there to be absolutely pounded? Because yeah, good luck. Absolutely. <laughs> Does it mean we shouldn't try? No. Um, and, and so that's kind of been a bit of a lens to look through. And I only bring that up because we had our first employee leave two weeks ago. 
And they had been with us a little over a year. Amazing designer. Product designer that came to the services side and, and wanted to stretch. Got a job at uh, HEB Favor. He's super nice. excited. And how do we find a way? Because I've been in companies that are toxic, just in general, and that are toxic to people that, that leave. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was neat to see the clap out, as we called it, and to see, okay, it's okay. And, and he feel, you know, loved, welcomed, like everyone is excited. Uh, I think we sent a tiff street to him on his first day at favor and said, Hey, congrats on the, the new gig, which goes back common theme here, relationships. Yeah. You never know, do, do what's right and do what's good for people. Cause you know, it'll probably come back in some form or fashion. Absolutely. And I'm living proof. It's a different world these days. You know, it's not the, it's not the, the same world that our parents grew up in where you work for the same place for 20, 30 years, get a you know, pension the, and retire. Now it's, I think what's, <clears throat> what's the average duration at a, at a job? It's right around three years, I think, or no, maybe, maybe even less than no, that. No, you, you know, you're, you're nailing on something too, because I'll never forget when I, when, you know, back in the nineties when I was going to, to college and, and my dad who grew up in the panhandle farmer, you know, went to the army and, and went to college and law school and, and really stayed the whole time. He, you know, he, he told me as, as a lot of parents, uh, of folks of my generation, Hey, you're probably going to change majors a couple of times. You're going to mm -hmm. college, you know, it's okay. It's okay to change a major to your point, Jake. I think now we're kind of setting the tone. Hey, you're probably going to change careers a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? That's okay. That's fine. And I think that's, that's a, that's, you see that on LinkedIn. You see, you know, others, people could say two years, two and a half years, three years that people are hopping around. Not, I think, I think we're doing some user testing out there from yeah. a software perspective and yeah. trying to understand where, where do I best fit? If people, my wife, who is the big, biggest supporter and, and loves books, she read a book years ago called Designing Your Life. And it takes a design thinking approach to finding a career. And Designing Your Life is a book that was based off of a famous Stanford course that was started with the uh, thesis. And I'm going to totally mess this whole thing up because she would do it way better. But it's basically, hey, look, there are your job's not out there. Nobody really found the job they were looking for because nobody really knows what they want to do until yeah. they go get it. So how do you start designing your life to figure out what you're supposed to go do? Because most jobs uh, that people find aren't necessarily listed on Monster or somewhere else. They're through the networks, through the relationships and, and trying to do it. So back to your point, I think a lot of the changing your careers is somewhat more designing the life and designing where it is you want to go. So before I read that book, did she design her life in the way that she was happy <laughs> or, or is she still searching? Cause I'm not going to read it if it didn't work. <laughs> you know, I, uh, yes, hundred percent. She okay. is, she is, she, she married you. She got what she wanted. <laughs> no, but she's still, no, but see, but see that that's it. She's got a, uh, a bag company on the side. Mm -hmm. She's got, um, a, uh, designing a, a restaurant because her family's in the restaurant. So but, she's uh, still out there tinkering and awesome. finding spots. She's also got a uh, uh, autoimmune disorder that doesn't allow her to work the whole time. But uh, she's found it, but not necessarily going to just stay satisfied, which I yeah. think is also another underscore as to why people are not jumping, but continuing to leapfrog and, and find other opportunities in the marketplace. Yeah, I think so. so uh, I was going to kind of segue into this talking point that I wanted to hit on before we end the show. Are we talking about what you want? I mean, like, I feel like we're like, whoa. Oh, no, no, this love, is good. I love podcasts like this. Like, let's right. just talk about everything. If it's too linear, it gets boring. Yeah. All right. <laughs> but before we close out the podcast, I want to talk about, you know, we share a common passion. You brought this up for building up the ecosystem mm -hmm. in Houston. And one thing that I find really, um, find it cool what Umbridge does mm. with uh, Flatiron, right? Uh, Flatiron Digital Crafts yeah. is another one. Yeah. So Flatiron Digital Crafts, these uh, coding General Assembly boot camps. would be another. Yeah, these mm. are, I don't know, three, six-month uh, coding boot camps. And you guys have an apprentice program mm -hmm. where you're working with these schools here in Houston, um, bringing in these uh, graduates from the programs, putting them through, you know, what is it, three-month mm -hmm. test or something like that. And then, um, you know, the goal is to hire, hire the best out of those cohorts. 
And I think that's really important. Um, you know, if you look at Houston, I think Houston is a very special city. And the fact that there's so much opportunity here. Mm -hmm. Extremely diverse. Yeah, extremely diverse. You have so many companies headquartered here. You have extreme technical talent in the engineering base from oil and gas. But what we lack is technical talent mm -hmm. from software, right? It's like, oh, why would you not just go down the road two hours west to Austin and get devs there? And there's never been that infrastructure for the startup ecosystem to grow here in Houston. And you know, if you look at Techstars and the reason that it was successful is because it was entrepreneurs building the startup community, it was startup mm -hmm. founders building the startup founder community. And actually, you know, went on to write a couple books about it called the startup community way and, and things of this. And it really made me think like they hit the nail on the head. They're like, what happens is you have corporations, they throw money at it and said, Oh, we're going to drive these big innovations. We're going to start a startup ecosystem. And the problem is, is you have a bunch of people in corporate jobs that are trying to lead the effort. that have never, ran a startup in their life. They don't know what startup founders need. And we've seen this in Houston. We've seen it. We've seen we've, it with digital wildcatters. The reason we were able to build an energy tech ecosystem is because we were founders ourselves and we we're there in the trenches. And then you got you guys and your founders, you're in the trenches, you're devs. Now you're starting to cultivate development talent here in Houston. You just told us a story about you had someone that uh, worked at Umbridge for a year, left to go to Favor. Like that's badass. Can you imagine Favor looking in Houston for top dev talent? Like you're already seeing that within a year and a half of being around. And I think that's so important. And so tell us a little bit about yeah. that. Apprentice. Sorry, there's a long winded. No, no, I love there, it. I love it. I think it's really important. Appreciate I, it. I think that the significance of this as you guys grow, it extrapolates mm -hmm. um, just. I think y'all are leading from the front. So what, what, why I love the question, if we can go over, I mean, it'll for over time, but I, I, I want to brag on you guys. First of all, you got the, the Houston community in the, in the scene and you got folks, I know you've talked to Kirk, you know, what he did with Surge and, and you got people like, you know, John Reality or John Reality and J, you know, JR that, that, you know, go back, back in the yeah. day, quote unquote, yeah. that are, you know, the people that are, you know, b building stuff. And yeah, we've got a snowball stuff of, of, of happening, but, but. You guys say, you know, adapt or die, right? Yeah. <clears throat> 100%. And what's amazing about what's happening in Houston, I'm going to answer your question on the whole apprentice, and I'll walk, walk through that because we get asked a lot, a lot about it because one of the things, in addition to working with clients and building digital products, we haven't figured out a way to charge for it because we don't think we should. We teach them. Like, mm -hmm. you should be doing this yourself. But what's interesting, and I, it happened to me one time, I walked in to just do a talk, to a CEO of a fairly large company. And he was like, okay, so you don't have a product. Mm -mm. Well, why don't I just go, why, why would I want to spend money hiring you? Why don't I just go build my own team? And I, I was like, I love that question. I think you should. You totally should. <laughs> and if I was in your shoes, I would do the same thing. The challenge is going to be not overcomable. You totally can do it. How are you going to build it? Like, where are you going to get the talent? Because you got to go cultivate the culture in order for people to want to go. Why I, why I, and go, go that route. <clears throat> that was several years ago. The energy industry, Houston, the enterprise, anywhere was already challenged to try to attract the talent to find what it is that makes she or he tick. It's getting even harder in Houston because of the amazing ecosystem, you know, cart.com, uh, Lion Guard, um, you know, a couple other startups that have raised some serious funds Mm -hmm. that are building here in Houston talent that guess what enterprise you're going to have to now further compete yeah. or, or die without adapting to, to quote you guys. Right. And so one of the things that we get asked a lot about is the apprentice program. And yeah, um, this is something we kind of honed after a prior experience and built a relationship with several boot camp academies it's worked really well on the engineering side we've done it with a couple of people in the product management and we're about to do it with uh some some design we you know much like college you, you go to college and you learn some stuff but you you really hone your skills in you know on the on the gig you, you just you, you need the you don't know shit coming up you well. need the job to get the experience <laughs> you need the experience to get the job it's that yeah, old yeah. adage right 
So we started from day one. We had an apprentice class. We had two people. Now, mind you, we had six employees, but we had two apprentices <laughs> and we ran a program. And so, yeah, it's, uh, uh, we usually have three to five uh, apprentices. They get full benefits and we pay 100% medical, dental, pet insurance. And you get all, you know, 100%. You get half salary for, you know, 12 weeks and you get a shot. I don't want to say a shot like prove, but like we want people to become better. It's almost the master's program to the coding academy and get paid to do it. Four weeks of a curriculum that are being taught usually by prior apprentice classes. That's the begetting of the, the skill set that's really cool to see once that flywheel really gets kicked yeah. in. Four weeks uh, of curriculum. Then we put them on an internal project. Uh, it, it varies from class to class. Four weeks of that. And then four weeks, we pay. We don't charge the client. We put them on client projects. And afterwards, we promote our, you know, we, we've had two, I think, you know, not one went to Apple to become a, an engineer. Really psyched for, for him. But it does a couple of things. It allows us to get to know folks. It, it from a startup perspective, guys, it cash flow, especially on the services, was really key. And we grew. We we had our top folks in place, and then we built our middle talent from from the bottom up. And it took some time, mm -hmm. but it allowed us to instill some work ethic of of what we what our work ethic was going to be, how we go about building. And it was the tempering of glasses that I say a lot of getting people onboarded. And, you know, it's been very successful. And, and the, 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 the proof is in the pudding. We were working with a very large OFS and he didn't know that one of the people on his project wasn't, he wasn't being charged for, was an apprentice. And, but he had made enough of an impression that one of the lead desert, that guy can touch my code anytime. And it was really cool to see that person's face light up and to get validated that, hey, we're teaching our own, if you will, and mm -hmm. paying it forward because one of our large clients is a subset of Sumitomo SCGTS. We're interviewing people for them. We're helping not just build product, but we're helping them build out an apprentice program team, yeah. to start to fish for themselves. Yeah. So I appreciate you bringing the apprentice stuff up because that... One of the remits for Umbridge was to prove the point. Houston isn't third in line to the other so-called cities that I love mm -hmm. from a talent perspective, that yeah. there's talent here. You just got to give it a chance and go out and, and find it. And, it's, yeah. and I love bucking the system, love Austin, but I love this, the fact that we're building homegrown talent here in Houston 100%. for the clients that are here in Houston. Yep. That's how you build the ecosystem. You go 10 years out and you start to see all the talent that has been grown here in Houston. And that's when things start. We've, getting. we've come a long ways. And I, I think I've talked about this a few times, but I remember when I first came to Houston, it was like start Houston was the only hmm. entrepreneurial thing kind of going on. I mean, I think you had like HTC and stuff, but once again, that wasn't really led by founders, but start Houston was legit. And, <clears throat> but the, the community's definitely come a long ways, but we still have such a long ways to go, but without, you know, guys like you, and other founders in the space, like we, it's not possible, you know? So you guys are leading from the front, definitely on the apprentice apprenticeship program. We see a lot more of it. And I know, I think we've talked about this, but one of the things that we want to do for Houston is we want to bring like a South by Southwest hmm. style event to Houston. It just seems like we're lacking in that department. And so we just like throwing parties. We also like throwing parties. I mean, it would be awesome to bring the boom back to Boomtown. Yeah. And I put yeah. that in emails all the time. I, I'll just I'll put Boomtown on cap. It'd be like, what is that? I'm like, hey, come on. You got you to know. It's like, it would be like, and, and, and that's the thing. It is it is happening. It's a little, little, little different boom. And yeah. that's why I love Digital Wildcatters. Yeah. What a great, what a great name. Not only for paying homage to the heritage of Houston, but Look also- forward. To Vision. where it's yeah. going, hundred percent. I think Wildcatters. I think we just really just got like, lucky there. Like yeah. I was like, man, this is. Why are you saying? I just teed that up for you, Colin, <laughs> and you just totally decided no, not I mean, to. Look, like I told you, we came, you know, stumbled across that name in a coffee shop, and it's like that's a badass name. And the more, uh, you know, it just something that just grew over time, and so sunk in really well. But I'm just sitting here filling this T-shirt. I'm like, <laughs> these shirts are so fucking soft. Like this is like this world's softest shirt. So. 
if you ever come by Wildcatters uh, studio, I'm or sure Umbridge, we'll be, we're down in Edo. Yeah, Umbridge has a badass Super setup. Awesome yeah, office. beautiful office. Go check it out. They got world softest shirts, and we'll we'll give you one. Hundred percent. Yeah, man. I appreciate you coming on the no, show. No, thank dude. you this guys. Uh, I'm gonna go watch Pearl Harbor after this. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna, the whole time we're gonna put a timestamp to Will Seen and Pearl Harbor. So yeah, once we, we shut this off, I'll tell you some stories that happened to me as a lawyer in front of some judges. Because when you become a DA, you get a big time FBI background. You have to be very honest with what you did. I mean, yeah, they're going to check. Yeah. So <laughs> guess what? I had to tell what I was for six years. So it. It uh, got some, some headshots it. were found and posted <laughs> inside jury rooms. I mean, it, it, yeah, thick skin is what you had to have. Anywho, Absolutely. So yeah, go, go watch it. You'll have, to, don't, don't, don't blink though, Jake, because you might miss the <laughs> might scene. Might miss him running from the ship. <laughs> Will, why are you sitting on this couch? <laughs> <laughs> thanks guys yeah absolutely this has been this has been a blast it's been a long overdue and we always enjoy catching up with you so Dig glad it. You, you finally made some time for us appreciate it alright guys uh, take two seconds go sign up for our newsletter that thing's popping off we send out to like 5,000 people every single week if you like the episode go hit up Will go show up at his office get some new shirts we'll catch you on the next episode come, 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 come.